When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Christ's closest friends were looking at each other. They just heard Jesus up on a mountain. And, and Jesus gave them some words but they started scratching their heads. This is the plan? He, he gives us the Holy Spirit and leaves? He's depending on us? And they started looking around at the other, at each other. They admitted that they didn't graduate at the top of their class that just weeks before they're arguing who was, well, the greatest leader. Jesus often had to remind them of what priorities were, but now they're, they're here. We know Jesus talked about it for at least three years. But really, is this the best the Son of God can come up with? <laughs> Whoa, uh, I'm on the edge here. And I, and I mean no disrespect. But I'm thinking these disciples are thinking this. You see, Jesus stormed into the Galilean landscape and changed the world. He healed the sick and he raised the dead and he fed the crowds and he taught them about the kingdom. Not a kingdom focused on politics or military strength or economic equity, but one where the king's reign and rule would bring peace and justice, where citizens would love their king and love their neighbors. Jesus ushered into this kingdom and modeled for us what living underneath the Father's authority would look like. Living in this 
broken world. A a world scurrying around, trying to make sense of it without a king. Well, God loves everyone and desires to redeem mankind, to give them hope for today and forever. In spite of the human's race bent toward destruction, God is lovingly and graciously and mercifully reaching out to all of us. Jesus paid sin's debt on the cross, offered a restored relationship by faith, and then invites us to put on a yoke. That was the great invitation. Can you believe it? That God, the Almighty God, wants to do life with you and me. Last week, we focused on the great commandment where Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, and then to love others. In my discussion over this last week, the one takeaway that kept coming up over and over again was that loving God changes us and loving others changes the world. That a relationship with God is what changes our perspective on life and actually others. This morning I'm going to focus on Christ's parting words. Most of us know it as the Great Commission. Many of you have heard messages about the Great Commission. Maybe you've taught lessons about the Great Commission. I hope that you will have fresh eyes today. Let me begin with the context of Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles or your flat screens, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. If I could put this into context, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and he hung around for 40 days. The risen Savior continued to teach and to encourage his team. I got to believe they knew this was special, and I got to believe that every time they heard Jesus talk, they knew, well, maybe this would be the last time. But the last time finally came. The the eleven met up with Jesus on a mountain. Some were confused and doubtful. But when they saw him, the scriptures say that everybody worshipped. They knew God's son would be leaving soon. His words would be important, and we have them. Our passage is critical. In fact, some teachers think that this passage is the focal point of the whole Bible. Let's turn. Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ's last words are dangerous. These few verses ought to, by the working of the Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts, both individually and collectively, with a renewed zeal to make disciples in our communities and actually among all nations. For some followers of Jesus, this might even be leaving this community. There's one imperative verb, one command in these verses, and it's make disciples. And it's surrounded by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. I'm not really here to try to teach English, but what I am trying to say is that this is going to make sense, I think, at the end of the message. So let's look at Christ's life-altering words and let the Holy Spirit change our thinking and ultimately our behavior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Um, the opportunity we have to open this book every day. We have so much access to your words. And we just want to say thank you. It's not been that way in every generation. But for ours it is. And we are grateful that your word to us is available. It's life-giving. It's convicting, it's encouraging, it's strengthening. And as we open up your word today, some very familiar words, I ask, dear Lord, that you would do a mighty work in me and in all of us. I pray, dear Father, that you would be with all of your church, meeting in all the various areas and spots of the world. Some in cathedrals and some in garages. We know they come together to hear from you and to worship you and to honor you. Father, I I pray for some of the churches in our local area. Other sister converged churches. We pray, Father, for Fierce and for New Hope in Casa de Erosión. I I pray, dear God, that you would be with those communities and those disciples, and they would continue to follow you with all their hearts. I pray, Father, for families and students. Some have already started school. Some have just continued schools. But God, I, I know that there is extraordinary pressure from the enemy and our culture to kind of be squeezed into its mold. 
Lord, we're not sure of all the teachers, of all the philosophies that are going to be taught to our children. But we pray you would give them discernment, that you would protect them, that you would give our parents a great understanding of what is best for our kids. I also pray, Father, for all those who are teaching downstairs and for the ministry to our children right now that's happening in the basement. I pray that our kids would learn who you are, that they would understand and fall in love with our Savior. Lord, I, I do pray that you'd continue to work in our church through our people. We ask, dear God, that you'd continue to supply our needs, especially our financial needs. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to develop cheerful givers and that we would honor you with our time and our talents and our treasures. Thanks again, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's important to notice how Christ started off these last few lines. He, he says this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This was not news again to the disciples, but he's reminding them who he is. He is the powerful king. Therefore, he says, in light of my sovereignty, and because I am king, almost, I'd like to put it in a little bit old English, it always sounds more powerful, the king speaketh. Now, whenever that happens, whatever is following, whatever is coming, it is good, and it is important. And I'm not sure, again, if the disciples were in awe or if they were able to open up their ears. But this would be a time we ought to open our ears. And then Jesus says this, keep making disciples everywhere. Keep making disciples everywhere. Disciples are Jesus' followers. Jesus himself described what a disciple is in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, disciples are those who give up their own way, who take up your, their cross and follow him. So we keep making disciples by helping people everywhere to be less selfish, embrace hardships, and follow Jesus. But making disciples is not like making peach pie. Let me explain. It takes a disciple, someone who is walking with God, someone who is listening to God, to help others on their journey. So being a disciple is critical. It's the first step to making disciples. The participles in this text tell us how to make disciples. The first one is by going. By going. 
about your business. This is an aorist passive, and again, may not make a big deal, but what Jesus was saying is, is that I want you to live life. And as you normally live life, as you go about your business, I want you to make disciples. As you do your normal routine, as you go about your day, Making disciples happens best in the context of normal. There are special times and there are special events, but that's actually not what Jesus was talking about. Then he says this, keep baptizing the disciples you are making. In this context, baptism is synonymous with salvation. Back in the first century, especially in the early church, all right, you could ask someone, are they a Jesus follower? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Or they could ask, are you baptized? Because in the first century, what would happen as soon as somebody came to faith, they were drunk. <laughs> drunk. They were dunked. Maybe they were drunk, I don't know hope not. In this context, all right, baptism is a visual of your faith in Christ. It's a big deal. Before you met Jesus, you were dead. After you met Jesus and you came up from the water, you are alive. The Holy Spirit fills you. You have a brand new life. So what Jesus is saying is that we share the gospel so folks come to faith. They follow Jesus and are baptized. Which again is a little bit intimidating to some. But evangelism is literally telling your story of God's grace. It's what happens when people are baptized here too. It's publicly sharing, hey, I was dead. But because of my faith in Jesus, I am alive. I am a new creation. And Jesus is living in me. In 2 Timothy, it's interesting. Paul is talking to the young pastor, Timothy. And although it seems like evangelism wasn't his gift, Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, work hard at telling others the gospel. Make sure as you go about your day that you keep talking about the good news that Jesus came to redeem and to give life. Keep talking about it. So the goal would be baptism because baptism publicly identifies yourself with Jesus. It shouts that Jesus is your your leader and that you're on Jesus' team. Then Jesus said, making disciples means you keep teaching the word. Now, if you keep teaching the word, I'm assuming it assumes you know the word. So, 
Disciple makers spend time with Jesus. They learn the word. They teach his word both informally and formally. Then encourage obedience to his word. The teaching is not merely to convey information or to memorize, but to change lives from disobedient to obedient behavior. Now, here's what's really cool. It's really important to see how Jesus ended. He gave him a promise. He said, I am going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says this, I I, I want you to go make disciples. I I know your self-images aren't so good, guys. I know there's been lots of failure, and, and yet there's been lots of victories, too. I want you to make disciples. And the really neat thing is, guys, I am going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to empower you. Jesus promises himself, I am with you. And actually what he's saying is, I am enough. I'm not only with you, but I am enough. Let me say that Jesus expected disciples to make disciples. Scripture knows nothing about disciples who are not making disciples. If you would read especially from Luke chapter 9, 10, and 11, what you would see is this, is that Jesus, about halfway through his ministry, Um, empowers his disciples, basically sits them down and says, you know what, you've watched me long enough. And in chapter 9, he says that he empowered them in order to heal and told them to go out, represent him, heal and preach and teach about the good news. So the disciples do that. They come back and basically do a debriefing session with Jesus. They do some more ministry. And then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says that he sends out 72 disciples. They go out and they share good news. And they come back and Jesus debriefs with them. But that is his way, is that we learn from Jesus, we obey Jesus, we do what Jesus says, we debrief it, and we keep doing it. Yet, if you were to ask Christians today, if we were to take a poll, what it means to make disciples? Maybe you could take a moment here. Write in your notes. Maybe you have a definition. Maybe you could spit it out. But what would making disciples look like to you? If Jesus has told all of us who are God followers to make disciples, 
What does that mean every day for you? Well, your thoughts may be jumbled, or, or you may come up with different answers at different times. Maybe you might even have a blank stare and say, I, I don't have a clue. So, if this is such a critical passage, and Christ's words seem to be clear, why is the body of Christ filled with folks not making disciples? People who are doing good things, maybe even making impacts, but are not helping others grow in their relationship with God and encouraging them to do the same with others. Well, realistically, if it's not happening, it's probably disobedience or ignorance. That's it. Disobedience just means people aren't following Jesus, so why would they encourage others to follow Jesus? They may know the Lord, but that relationship isn't that important. So why would they talk about it? Well, people could be selfish because making disciples literally means that you have to focus on other people's needs. It could mean that disciple-making make people uncomfortable. How will they react? I don't really know all the right ways. Is there a wrong way? Or sometimes disciple-making is for the experts, the paid staff. We'll let them do it. That's why I put money in the offering. But technically, programs don't produce disciples. Disciples make disciples. Now, if it's ignorance, that's another thing, and hopefully you'll be encouraged today. The way I'd like to be able to present disciple-making is like parenting. In fact, disciple-making is a lot like parenting. Now, if you've had six, seven, eight, nine, ten kids, you're not as, shall I say, worried or concerned about that eighth, ninth, or tenth. All right? But have you ever met someone who's having their first child. <laughs> of course you have. And that's no offense. But unbelievable. Like, oh, can we do this? I mean, one day they think they're going to be awesome parents. The next day they're going, I'm going to fail. What happened if this happens? What are we going to do here? And, you know, the truth is, nobody has all their answers when they hear that baby cry. Guarantee it. All right? But at first, it is scary and intimidating. But realistically, there are many parenting styles. But all parents have one goal. And if you don't know what that goal is, I'll just share it with you. But it's to eventually release a mature adult. That's the goal. It's not to hover over your children. It's not to keep them underneath the household 
roof, e- even though quite a few are staying there longer these days, all right? But what I do know is this. The goal of every parent is to be able to help them grow to a place where they're mature and responsible. This involves intentionality and doing life with your kids. You model, you teach, you protect, you motivate during every stage of their life. You don't treat them the same way when they're two as you do when they're 12. But there also is a letting go of every stage until that final release or until the day you boot them out. Likewise, I believe there are many disciple styles or making disciple styles, but all with the same goal. A mature follower of Jesus who then reproduces or helps others follow Jesus. It involves intentionality, doing life with others, and releasing them. Making disciples just doesn't happen. Just like rearing responsible adults isn't a given. No one ever drifts into making disciples. Just as life skills are taught and caught and reinforced, so are Jesus' follower skills. Disciple makers, good ones, have a personal relationship and a plan with accountability. It always means opening up the word, sharing what God is teaching you, what he's inspiring you, what he's convicting you, and teaching them to obey. You know, Maybe your kids are out of the house now, or, or maybe they're all there, but isn't one of the most tiring things as you parent is teach obedience? Oh, my word. Why don't you just obey? Life would be so much easier. We would have a much happier house. This meal would go much better. Please obey. You know, in Paul's final letter to Pastor Timothy, he talked about the importance of making disciples. So we're hearing about Jesus' last words, and now we're also focusing on some of Paul's. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, you have heard me teach things. Paul says to Timothy, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on. What Paul was saying is pass on truths I've taught you to trustworthy people who will pass on truths to others. You say, well, what are the truths? In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 14, Paul identifies three things. Doctrine, character, and ministry. And and those actually are my foundations as I work with people. Pouring into them doctrine, character, and ministry. 
You see, disciple-making is characterized by regularity and objectives and accountability and evaluations. You say, oh, Rick, 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 that's just too much trouble. But it's the same for parenting. It is. You need to understand the responsibility of raising children. But we also need to understand the responsibility of making disciples. Your interaction with others always has reproduction in mind. Always has passing it on. That's so critical. Because every one of us know when we are learning something, it's different to be able to have head knowledge. It's way different in order to be able to teach somebody else that. So whether you're learning math or whether you're learning about stewardship. The truth is, you teach, you share, you model, and then you unleash. Hey, go teach your little brother. What? Yeah, we, we just spent some time doing this. You go teach someone else this truth, this principle, or how to add. You'll know real fast if your son or your daughter has caught it, right? And that's really, I think, how Jesus did it and how we are to make disciples. We encourage, we strengthen, we give them time to go try it. And then come back and debrief. You see, our leadership has wrestled with making disciples for years now. How can we make disciples in a busy world? The truth is, as I interact with people, and as you interact with people, hey, would you like to get together once a year? Rick, I'm pretty busy. Once a year. How about once every five years? I'm still pretty busy. And so the B word comes up over, no, no matter what it is, but the truth is this, is that as we look at making disciples, some initiatives, even the ones that are here now, are working well, and some aren't. Here at Crosspoint, we see groups as a setting that disciple-making works best. So our ministries do focus on groups, life groups, small groups, prayer groups. Also here at Crosspoint, we have taught discipleship and leadership classes along with Bible studies. And some of those have been somewhat effective. Uh, we've gone to retreats and work treks and mission trips. And those at times have encouraged others on the journey. But overall numbers and percentage of disciple makers is low. But I think there's hope. I, I do. We have a plethora of ministries here, which, again, if you opened your bulletin and you looked at some of our handouts for Vision Sunday, one of the things I'm going to go over with are some ministries at the end of our service. But what I'd like to focus on right now is maybe something new. 
And this doesn't even have a fancy word. It's called mentoring. That's it. Mentoring one or mentoring one-on-one, one-on-two, or one-on-three once a month. Now again, before you say no, what I want to share with you is that many struggle with making disciples. And you may not like even the offerings we have, but here is one thing you can pray about or think about. It may be an option for you. And it doesn't mean that you have to drop what you're doing and do this. But if you're not making any disciples, maybe this is an option for you. I actually think this will work for the majority of our busy flock, If we're honest, and you even look at your sheets, we fall into two categories. And sometimes we fall into both categories. We need help following Jesus. Or we fall in the category of being mature enough to help others follow Jesus. The truth is, even if in that latter category... I think you should be in a first category, which means you keep learning about what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the service. We're going to go through some options and some opportunities, but you will see on our sheet that there really are two major categories. I'd like help in following Jesus, or I would like to help others follow Jesus. Now, as I close, what I'd like to say is this. Jesus' ending was pretty stark. It just was. There weren't a lot of words And maybe he said a whole lot more. But this is all we have recorded. He basically pumped their tires and said, Hey guys, your marching orders, what I want you to do, make disciples, and I'm going to be with you. It's short and sweet. Make disciples. And I will be with you on this journey. The disciples' responsibilities are daunting. But we have some amazing resources. We know that anyone who has come to faith has the Holy Spirit living within them. Teaching, convicting, encouraging, prompting, leading. What an amazing gift. So we learn who God is and we help others get to know God. You see, Jesus gave us a mission and he showed us how to do it. It started with a group, and and please hear me, no disrespect to the original disciples, but they were a motley crew. They were. No one understood how they could make a difference. 
In fact, as you read the scriptures, people say, we don't get it. They're not very educated. They're kind of a crazy bunch. The only thing we know is that they spend time with Jesus. Whoa. So all these misfits, or shall I say normal people, or folks like you and me, they spent time with Jesus and changed the world. We're not in a mountain. We haven't spent the last three years living with Jesus. But we have had opportunities to learn and to spend time with him. My question is this. Do you want help following Jesus or helping others follow Jesus? We're all at different places. Some are going off to school. Some are at school. But you know what's so interesting is that no matter where you go, there are places that you can Grow in your relationship with God, meeting with people, and helping others grow. If you haven't noticed or spent much time in our lobby, the greats all hang in our lobby. Usually put up in your house what's important to you. So the great invitation and the great commission and the great commandment They're all hanging there because we as a church want to be able to listen to God better every day and help others do the same. May God's words ignite each one of us. Let me pray. Lord, I do thank you for your grace. I do thank you for your words. I do thank you, God, that you were patient. Because if I look at these disciples, (laughs) I'm not much better. But I know this, is that you showed them what was important in life. And there's nothing more important than helping others grow in their knowledge and understanding of who you are. Because it changes perspective. It changes our future. It changes our goals. It changes our spending. It changes our joy. So God, we pray that that happens here. That you will convict each one of us on areas to grow in, and places we can step out in faith. And that we would be known as a body of Christ who make disciples that make disciples. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.